You're listening to an audio sermon from Hope Bible Church in Oakville, Ontario. For more information, please visit our website at hopeoakville.ca. You can please open your Bibles to Psalm 5. Please open your Bibles to Psalm 5. And as you do, um, I want you to open your Bible with faith. I want you to open your Bible today with expectation. The Bible tells us that the Bible is alive and active. It's not dead and boring. You hear me? The Bible is alive and active. And so therefore, it is a supernatural book written by God that desires to speak to you where you are today. Like to speak to your heart and to change your life. It's happened countless times in the past and we pray that today is another day. But one of the things that needs to happen is that the people of God need to come with an expectation and faith that they're going to meet with God. That has to happen. Uh, the Spirit of God fills those who are hungry and those who are vibrant with faith. And so the simple thing of even saying what we're saying right now is we open God's word. What are we expecting that's going to happen? Are we expecting to go through the motions? Are we expecting a ritual? Are we expecting just a couple of words to be said and just kind of forget and move on and carry on with our day? If we're expecting that, we're expecting way too little. Right now, the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Holy Spirit, who is God himself, wants to meet with you personally. So our faith increases, our prayers start to rise up, and all of a sudden this becomes a very, very important moment because we are entering into God's word together in a supernatural moment with an awesome, supernatural God. Lord, help us. Amen, church? Lord, help us. Lord, help us. This amazing, simple things, putting us in a right direction. We're in part two of our little mini-series here in Psalm 5. It's called A Recipe for Rejoicing. A Recipe for Rejoicing. Just to recap, David's in the midst of a trial. He's in the midst of encountering opposition and enemies. He's in real difficulty. It's a bit of a crisis in his life. We don't know the exact context, but we know this is happening. It's in the midst of this trial that David sets out and lays out a recipe for rejoicing. And by the way, loved ones, it's very powerful for us to observe, right? Because we encounter this in our lives all the time. And so what we're seeing here is a roadmap. When life gets tough, what should we do? Well, it's right here in Psalm 5, elsewhere in Scripture, obviously, but right here in Psalm 5. And we have this kind of outline we've been using. By the way, I encourage you, as we go through the outline today, as we complete it, Lord willing, write it down in your Bible. There's five Ps. Like, I would write them down in your Bible to remember where you've been, that you come back, whether six months or a year from now, and it's right there. Oh, yeah, right. This is the recipe for rejoicing laid out in God's Word. It just makes sense. It would take you a couple of seconds, and it triggers the memory as to the truth of God's Word, and how He wants us to lead us to a path of joy or a recipe for rejoicing. We're looking at five ingredients in this recipe for Rejoicing. I want to recap, just in case you weren't here, and if you were here last week, you probably forgot. And let's be remindful, reminded right now. Last week we saw in the first two points, ingredient number one, early earnest prayer. It's hard to overstate the value of these ingredients relating to joy. Uh, early, I hope this week was different for you than previous weeks in terms of the morning and prayer. I hope you took it seriously. I hope the Lord met you. I pray that you have found him again to be so satisfying. Ingredient number one is early, earnest prayer. Our prayer meeting this past week, again, was all on this. Essentially, what a joy to be together. Hundreds of us gathering to pray for more prayer. Secondly, ingredient is purity. 
purity. God blesses holiness. God has saved us to purity. God takes impurity so seriously. We read that last week. We'll be reminded of it again today. The power of prayer and purity as it relates to joy. Impurity will kill our joy. That's what sin does. Prayerlessness will keep us away from the presence of God. It kills our joy. So the first two ingredients, and this leads us now to the third ingredient today as we continue in our journey in Psalm 5. Ingredient number three is this, passionate, purposeful pursuit. Have you been trying to guess the P's that are coming this week? Maybe you guessed pursuit in verses 7 and 8. Passionate, purposeful pursuit. But again, look at our immediate context here. Look at verses 4 and 6 as we lead into verse 7. Verse 4. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. God, you hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. And the Lord abhors thirsty and deceitful men. Okay, wow, wow. Again, so but now look at the first two words of verse 7. Okay, with our context. Now look at the first two words of verse 7. David says, but I. But, contrast, I. Here comes an entirely different direction. David is stating the evil and the wicked, the current of the tide of cultural evil is overwhelming and headed towards destruction. We live every day watching this, don't we? Every day watching the massive current, cultural current of evil headed towards destruction. Apart from Christ, there is no life. Every day we live, we watch this massive current go by. David says, I'm watching it, but I'm swimming upstream. That's tough, yet that's his reality. David's like, I know where everyone else is going. I, for the love of God and the glory of God, I am turning and I am fighting the battle upstream. I am swimming in a different direction. I am going straight towards the Lord and the Lord alone. Maybe you remember, this is probably maybe from last year at some point, uh, a woman in our church put together, painted this illustration. This is based on one that I grew up with as a kid, whatever, based on Romans 12. Do not be conformed to the world. Conformed to the world, you're swimming with everyone else. And this beautiful image and illustration of a child of God swimming against the reality of what we are facing in our world today. And by the way, this is an encouragement to you. We had these available in our bookstore a while ago. They're still available today. If you want to take one up, I encourage, again, we think we prayed for our university students and students going in to the hostile environments that they are so filled anti-Christ, anti-God, anti-truth of God's word, all that stuff. I mean, if you're not prepared for this, you will not make it. The reality of understanding where I, where I am and, and what I face and how much Jesus promised to me. And here's David. He's like, the whole current's going this way and all the evil and the wickedness. And he's like, but I, but I, but I, but I am going in a different direction. There is no exceptions to this for those who are faithful to Jesus Christ. You, me, all of us have to live in such a way in the world that we live, and it's only going to get worse. I believe the Bible says as time goes on, but not without hope. Not without hope. Not without faith and victory. We'll see as we continue on in this regard too. Look at verses 7 and 8 again. Look at what he says. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. Beautiful. 
I will bow down towards your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. I want you to notice, and it's easy to miss this. Look at verse 7. Notice right away. It is the abundance of God's love that allows David to pursue the Lord. You see that? Look at how he enters the house of God. Look at how he bow down, bows down towards his holy temple. It is through, verse 7, the abundance of your steadfast love. What is it that causes us to change our direction in life, to swim upstream towards the glory of Christ? What is it that allows us to fight through uh, levels of persecution and the societal tide coming against us? Right here. It is the abundance of God's love. When the love of God meets us and fills us, the love of God changes us and alters us and transforms us into men and women who want nothing at the end of the day but him. I remember the day I was saved. An explosion of love upon my life and heart. An explosion of love. And instantly, as the love of God covered my life, everything changed in a moment. In a moment away from the world and towards the path of Jesus Christ. That's what God's love does. was it me. Wasn't anything I did. It was the grace of God, the mercy of God, the love of God that fills us and then changes us entirely in a different direction. What a transformation it was. I went from, again, hanging out in the bars into being baptized for Jesus Christ. Went from chasing girls to loving his church. This is what God's love does. An explosion of love meets us, and we cannot stay the same. What I love right now, too, I love when we just stop and we say, wait, what's happening even right now, right now, right now? This message, Psalm 5, this verse, 7 and 8, coming for you right now. This is God's love meeting you where you are right now, like right now. Man, I love this so much. God's love, you're here right now, not by accident. And the love of God is specifically chasing after you and seeking to fill you and overwhelm you. Why? That you might pursue him. I want you to acknowledge that in your life and heart right now. God meeting you, covering you again, reminding you of his love. That you might then once again double down and pursue the direction of the only one who can actually satisfy you and give you joy. It's so humbling to think about that. God in his love again meeting us, calling us, wooing us, that we might know his joy. And what happens when we respond to God's love in the pursuit of him? Well, if you look at verse 7, notice, we will enter his house. David says, I will enter your house. Man, wow, did David have a love for the house of God. It was David who said in Psalm 26 on the screen for you, David said in Psalm 26, Oh Lord, I love the habitation of your house. The place where your glory dwells. I was in Psalm 27 yesterday and today. And just in Psalm 27 this morning, again, reading that again. One thing have I asked, O Lord, that I may dwell in the courts of your house, that I may gaze upon the beauty of the Lord 
and reside within your holy temple. It's just awesome, David. So passionate, the pursuit of God and the house of God for the glory of God to the joy of God. And of course, we know one of the main metaphors for the house of God in the New Testament as it relates to the church. This past summer in my break, I got to experience the household of believers in Alabama, of all places. Never been there before, visiting my wife's brother's family in Alabama who moved there a few years ago. I experienced going to church with God's people in Perry Sound, one of our sister churches in GCC. And of course, I've been here in Oakville, and each time I walked into being with brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ in the household of God, metaphorically speaking, every time, whether in Alabama, Perry Sound, or here, I had moments where I was overwhelmed, overwhelmed at the intimacy of God, being with his people, and singing and worshiping. And you know what I thought to myself each time I was there? I was like, right now, this moment is unlike any other hour I've had all week. It's different. There have been some other good moments in the week, but not like this. This is different. Because it is so special and sacred. It is God's people gathering as God's household, seeking to worship him and love him. And this is David's heart, man. He's like, wow, when I'm filled with your abundance of your love, I will pursue your house. I will enter into your holy temple in the fear of you. I want you to see this too, loved ones. Notice in the context of, you know, verses 1 to 3 and the prayer and the seeking, verses 4 to 6, the reality of evil. Look at David here, casting aside evil, casting aside distraction, casting aside idols, But I, but I will enter your house. I will bow down. I will be led by the Lord, he says, verse 8. It reminds me of our Savior Jesus Christ walking to the temple, forming whips, turning over tables, driving out the money changers. And in John 2, Jesus says, my house, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. Jesus is literally taking out the trash to prepare the way for the pursuit of God. Let me ask you this. In terms of pursuing God, if Jesus came into your temple today, what would he trash? I want you to think about that. If Jesus walked into your temple today, What would he overturn? What would he be repulsed by? What would he be like? That's got to go. My father's house will be called a house of prayer. What would he trash? You see, because so often it's the very obstacles in our temples and in our lives that block our pursuit of God with hunger and affection, therefore preventing the joy that he would have us and no, in our lives. But David says, lead me, O Lord. Make your way straight before me. See, when you look at David's heart here, it's not difficult to see why David was filled with so much joy. Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's acting. Look at how he's being filled and pursuing God in this way. The pursuit of God, it is everything. The hunger for God is everything. The affection for God, it is everything. I'm saying that phrase, the pursuit of God, this week, or of course, reminding me instantly one of my favorite books ever, A.W. Tozer, wrote The Pursuit of God. How can I not quote Tozer on a point like this then? In his really, his anointed book, a book that has changed so many lives over so many decades now. He wrote it on a train ride from Chicago to Texas. He testified he could not keep up with his words, with his pen. And the preface 
of his book. And the very first thing he said, he said this on the screen for you. He said, in this hour of all but universal darkness, one cheering gleam appears within the fold of conservative Christianity. He wrote this about 70 years ago. There are to be found increasing numbers of persons who re- whose religious lives are marked by a growing hunger after God himself. And I want you to see that. It's not what God gives you as blessings. There's a hunger after God himself. They are eager for spiritual realities and will not be put off with words, nor will they be content with correct interpretations of truth. I love this. They are a thirst for God, and they will not be satisfied until they have drunk deep at the fountain of living water. That will be the difference for the church. Then and now. Men and women who are a thirst for God. For God himself. And they will not be satisfied until they drink deep from the fountain of living water. This is assuredly the path and the recipe for rejoicing. Because it is the pursuit of the Lord himself. Ingredient number four. Serious, sobering perspective. Perspective. You might say that's an odd ingredient for joy. Can be. Or maybe not odd at all. Let's look at what God's word says. Verses 9 and 10. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. Who is David talking about here in verses 9 and 10? He's referring to his enemies listed in verse 8. See that? His enemies here specifically are described as hating truth, speaking lies, and those who are piling up sin and rebellion against God. Now, you would think this would be a great discouragement for David. The reality of what's facing him, the evil that confronts him. It's also interesting for me, if you look at verses 9 and 10, how much, once again, the Bible is just nailing our current society. Like, just describing it exactly. Because this is the reality of man's sinful heart and depravity. But this was written 3,000 years ago. And look at how relevant and pertinent it is for our day today. Right now we face a war on truth as much as we've ever known in this nation. There's a war on truth to the point that whatever your truth is, is truth. What's your truth? What a joke that is. Don't believe that lie. Do not believe that lie that everyone has their own truth. No. No, absolutely not. There's a war on truth. That really there is no truth. That is an absolute destiny And it is a guaranteed for absolute destruction. Society cannot hold up if there is no truth. So what the enemy does from the very beginning, did God really say? And trying to create. He's the father of lies. He's the father. Young people heading in, all people, all of us, everywhere. What Satan does, all he does is lie. Lie, 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 lie. So the moment we're moving away from God, the moment we're moving more and more towards deception and false and, and again, things that oppose the very truth of God, which is the foundation for our very lives in society. There's an absolute war in truth. Think of the lying, the deception, and flattery 
that has seeped into all forms of institution, communication, politics, and media. It's just, it's just don't even think twice anymore about lying and just saying things to gain an advantage. And it's just, there's just no integrity. There's no sense of purity in that regard. Then there's the outward and arrogant rebelling against God himself. Rebelling against his creation. Rebelling against his truth. I think we can accurately say it's at an all-time high in this, in this land anyways. Throughout history, it's always been that way in different places. But it's at an all-time high in where we live. Now, as I recall what I think is reality right now, and God's word is showing us this is not new, I have to admit at times I can be quite frustrated. You probably sense that from me at times. At times I can be very sad. Maybe you sense that from me at times too. Other times I can be tempted with fear. And certainly at times I can be filled with anger. I hope it's more righteous indignation, but there's certainly a temptation towards sinful anger as well. When we are consumed by such emotions, what happens? It easily steals our joy and it distracts us from our primary calling in the gospel of Jesus Christ that the love of God may fill us and reach others. But notice what David himself here says. Notice what he is recalling. that The, des- the destination of evil is destruction. That's just, that's just 100% true. The destination of evil is destruction. The counsel of evil will fall, 100%. The counsel of evil will not stand, whether now at the return of Christ. The reckoning will come. It cannot stand because it is not based on truth. The guilt of the evil, David recalls, will be judged 100%. 100%. The guilt of the evil will be judged. So when we look around right now and we look at all that's happening, we could get depressed and we could get super discouraged and we can mourn for the times maybe that we think were in the past. We could do that or, or we can see the reality around us and then we can apply the gospel. Then we can apply the gospel because if you look at verse 11a to the little first part of verse 11, but, again, here's the contrast, but let all who take refuge in you, God, rejoice. So the evil and the reality of evil, but all who take refuge in you, who hide in you, let all those rejoice, let them ever sing for joy. So this is where loved ones, again, this is for me as much as anyone else right now, this is when you see the gospel and you recognize there's no greater refuge than Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's no greater security than being a child of God who belongs to the reality of the Lord Jesus Christ and his victory given to us. We remind ourselves right now that when you are saved in him, you cannot die. When you are saved in him, you cannot lose. When you are truly saved in him, you are co-heir of Jesus Christ, every spiritual blessing. When you are saved in him, you are chosen child of God. When you are saved in Jesus Christ, you belong to a royal priesthood. When you are saved in Jesus Christ, you belong to the undisputed, undefeated King of kings and Lord of lords, the great I am, the Alpha, and the Omega. The Bible tells us over and over again, because of this reality, don't live for the world. Don't live for the world. Don't live for the world. We live for the world to come. We live for the world to come. Jesus Christ soon to return. And the moment he returns, again, telling us over and over, but I take refuge in the Lord. But I, again, am set apart for the things of Jesus Christ. That's why we can join again with Isaiah. No weapon formed against me shall prosper. 
at the end of the day. This is why Jesus says again, they can kill you and after that they can do nothing. But rather fear the one who after killing you can throw your soul into hell. And only Jesus Christ can do that. But if you belong to Jesus Christ, that's never going to happen to you. So the worst thing that can ever happen to you is that you die. And if you die, then you actually start to live. Because that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. For to me, to live is Christ. And to die is... This is the hope of the gospel. This is why Paul says in Philippians 3, again, but we await our citizenship is in heaven and we await the return of Christ who will transform these lowly bodies to be like his glorious bodies again at the day of Christ Jesus. And last time I checked, that's pretty good news. And that means then that today is yet another, another great day for all those who are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is why then perspective is imperative, so important, and so powerful if we're going to know the joy of the Lord Jesus Christ, particularly in the times that we live. And what I just did for you is I walked you through your reality in the gospel if you are alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, 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 I hear some joy trickling down some people's hearts right now. Oh, I can hear it, spiritually speaking, because it's happening to me too. I can sense a joy starting to be found and seen. I, some of us, what just happened in Scripture right there, some of us, our eyes have turned off ourselves in the world and actually looked at Christ and we're like, ha, huh, you are awesome, Jesus. And I am saved in you. And I have nothing to fear. And you are my hope and are my victory and are my truth and are my love and are my joy. I can hear the joy trickling more. Because that's what the gospel does. That's why perspective is everything, especially in the midst of darkness, especially when we're confronted with fear, especially when evil is growing up around us, and even, even more so. And Lord, haste the day when my faith shall be sight. The clouds be rolled back as a scroll. The trump shall resound and the Lord shall descend. And in that moment, you'll be like, yeah, I'm good. And there'll be some joy. There'll be a lot of joy. So let's get a head start, huh? Let's get a head start on joy because it's, it's not like if it's true. It is, your, it is true. It's true. For you, saved in Jesus Christ. I mean, no wonder, right? In the morning when I rise, give me Jesus. Yes, give me Jesus. And when I come to die, give me Jesus. It's all, it's all, it's all we need. I just look, you know, Lord, we repent of looking at so many other things other than you. We're sorry. We're sorry for our idols. Repent of our sin. We're so distracted. We're so easily cause to wander. Help us, Lord, in these moments right now in stillness and in perspective. Help us to do this more often. Help us to sing this more often, to savor this more often. Help us to live this more often. Every day we need perspective. Ingredient number three, pursuit. Ingredient number four, perspective. Ingredient number five, protection. Unparalleled, unbreakable, protection. That'll give you some joy. Verse 11. But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. 
notice refuge. Rejoice. Why? Because you have refuge in God. Notice, sing for joy. Why? Because we have refuge in our God. Look, it goes on. And spread your protection. Oh, protection over them. That those who love your name may exalt in you. Protection leads to joy. We are secure. We will not be hurt. Verse 12, for you bless the righteous, O Lord. Look at this last phrase. I love this so much. You bless the righteous, O Lord. Why? You cover him with favor as with a shield. You cover him or her with favor as with a shield. Man, that is good stuff right there. I think those verses need to be highlighted, underlined, remembered, memorized. Soak up the joy of God here. Look at, look at what's happening. David's prayer for God's people. They rejoice. They sing for joy. They love his name. They exalt in him. They know his blessing and they see his favor. Why? 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 Why such joy? Why such singing? Why such love? Again, notice the three images, descriptions that result in joy. Refuge, protection, and covered as with a shield. It's the gospel again. What imagery here, eh? It's so beautiful. Just think, just think, God is our refuge. God is our refuge. Colossians 3, my life is hidden with Christ and high. My, my life is hidden with Christ. Um, Psalm 32, verse 7, you are my hiding place. You are my hiding place. No one can get to you. I read this past summer the Corey Ten Boom's book, The Hiding Place. Classic. So good. Knew all about it. Read it in detail. Very impactful. If you haven't, you should, you must. What a family. Ten Boom's. In the Netherlands, World War II using their house as a hiding place for Jews being persecuted by the Nazis. That verse, you are my hiding place, was Caspar Ten Boom's kind of theme for the whole journey they were on. They suffered immensely, immense suffering after being caught eventually by the Nazis and put in prison. Their father would eventually die. Her and her sister Betsy, taken from a prison to a concentration camp in Germany, horrific conditions, Awful descriptions. It's incredible, incredible to me, though, how this verse summarized their entire lives of their faith, that no matter where they are, no matter what's coming against them, the reality is the Lord is their refuge. He is their hiding place. And that carried them through, and her sister Betsy would eventually die as well in glory. It's just amazing to me that no matter what happens in our circumstances, it does not alter the reality that our ultimate refuge and the peace that you can find that is unexplainable in the most bleak and horrific of circumstances can be found because nothing limits and nothing stops our God from being with his people and blessing them. Nothing. God is our refuge. And when he's your refuge, in the end you're good. David says, and he has spread his protection over you. He has spread his protection over you. 
I was thinking of that image, spread your protection over you. There's something I thought of here as a little bit image. This is like an image of a force field. And that's like the believer here and the storms of life. It doesn't, see, what, what's not true is like the storms of life hit us. There's pain and suffering and heartache, but the reality is what actually matters, the protection of God is a force field around us where we will never be taken from the Lord Jesus Christ. So yes, storms, yes, pain, yes, suffering, yes, heartache now, but that's preparing us for the greater glory. And all those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will never, ever be snatched or cast out. So therefore, we are living with a force field around us, spiritually speaking, every single day that we live. And so even just the next part of that verse in verse 12, again, you cover him as with favor, as with a shield. So there you go. There's a force field, force shield, whatever you want to call it. And we are walking around. See, loved ones, again, the gospel is so, so utterly powerful, right? So when you start the reality of the gospel in your life, well, that means that in Jesus Christ, I mean, talk about covered favor. What kind of favor do we have from God? Well, you are favored because you have been chosen. You've been chosen by God. If you're chosen by God, you'll be called by God. If you're called by God, you'll be regenerated by God. You have been if you're saved in Jesus Christ. If you're regenerated by God, you'll be justified by God, declared innocent in the courtroom all of eternity. Never, ever. That sentence will never be overturned, ever, ever. No one can appeal it. It's, it's that you, you are innocent. If you are, if you are justified, then you are being sanctified. You are being transformed the image of Jesus Christ from one degree of glory to another. You are becoming more and more like Jesus Christ again on a daily basis. That's God's favor. Being in God's favor, you will be glorified. One day soon, you will be in perfection. Nothing can ever stop this process. No one will ever, ever be able to stop this process. You will be glorified in perfection, in sinlessness, before the glory of Jesus Christ in heaven, new heavens, new earth, forever. This means you will persevere to the end. You, you will persevere if you were genuinely saved in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an absolute guarantee. I mean, that's favor. That's favor. Notice the favor's not about the car you want to drive, or the house you want to live in, or the money you want in your bank account, the vacations you want to take. Or the harmony you might have with different people. That, that's not what we're talking We're talking about way bigger things than that. We're talking about eternity. And I think you'd want that favor over any kind of temporal idea of favor. That's the gospel. And when you realize how protected you are in the gospel because of Jesus Christ, what happens? You know joy. Because that joy supersedes anything else. You start to think about Romans 8 again. If God is for me, who can be against me? Nothing shall separate me from the love of God. Ever. Ever. That's a recipe for rejoicing. So just to end our little mini-series here, I just want a little image for us to be able to take with us. So I got a pot here. And you know, we've been talking food and recipe and all of that. So in our pot here... <clears throat> We want a recipe for rejoicing. So our first ingredient is going to be prayer. Okay, you got your pot out, so let's put some prayer in the pot. That sounds good. That's going to lead us to joy. We learned that we want some purity. You put purity in your pot there. That's going to be a great ingredient for joy. Thirdly, we're going to have the pursuit of God. Learn that today. That's a big one. We've got to make, don't miss that ingredient, okay? You've got to put that in for sure. And then we learn we have perspective. Perspective we heard today is so awesome. It's a bit of a longer ingredient, but it's good. You've got to make sure that fits in the pot as well. And then we just heard that there's, there's, there's protection. 
And so when you put, this is a guarantee. This is a guarantee by the word of God and the will of God. You put all these in, and then you start to stir it up. Oh, it smells good, doesn't it? It smells good. And what happens is when you do this in your life, then what you are guaranteed is this is the result. It's a recipe for rejoicing. Amen. And what I love about this, and just, I, I do this for the kids and for the big kids in the room too. I just know how much these things, some just seem to be remembered more than others. And maybe we can reuse this at some point too. So I really thank our team for helping me put this together. It's so great. Bless you, Mark Chang. Love you so much and thankful for that. But here's what I love about that. This isn't like, oh, I hope that happens. It will happen. And it is happening. Because this is what the Lord blesses. He blesses such things. If you make that your path, you will know his joy. You won't know ease. You will know joy. You won't have a life free from suffering. You will know joy. There won't be a freedom from heartache, but there will be joy. You won't be free from difficulty, but you will have joy. Because that's what Jesus does. Let's pray. Father, um, thank you for your word and for the uh, hunger of your people. And so I pray today for more prayer and more purity and more pursuit and more perspective and the reality of our protection in Jesus. Hey, by the way, if you're here today and you do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, can I ask what you're waiting for? Like seriously, why would you reject such an offer? Why would you withhold? Why would you not respond to life and love and meaning and purpose and joy and forgiveness and grace? What are you waiting for? Turn from sin. And believe in Jesus Christ. Let your sins be washed away. And see the joy that is set before you in him. I implore you, give your life to Jesus. You will not have a life of ease. But you will know a life of life and salvation. And the moment Jesus Christ returns, you will look up. And you will say, I'm good. He's mine, and I am his. This is life. This is salvation. This is truth. This is truth. So Holy Spirit, I pray you are saving and sanctifying in your church and within your church today in a glorious way. I pray this. In Jesus' name, and I ask you will give us such joy as we sing these realities now. Amen.